So the big question is this, how do investors like us get access to the ideas, information, and most importantly, the right people that give us the tools and information we need to make informed and educated decisions to have success? That is the question, and this podcast will give us the answers. This is Mark Moss, your host. Let's get this started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Martin Floriani from Rockfin, and we get into platforms, social media, content creators, etc. We talk about this growing niche, this growing area of content creation, uh, the growing demand. We talk about the problems that content creators um, face regarding that, and then we talk about how there's solutions for that today using blockchain technology. Uh, we talk about his company, Rockfin, what they're doing in this space. We get into lots of interesting things, including uh, Facebook and Twitter censoring, what that means legally, and so many other good things. It's a really good conversation. Uh, let's go ahead and just jump right into it. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I'm joined by Martin Floriani from Rockfin, and uh, he's in a really uh, interesting space and working on some really big problems that that are plaguing the industry, especially the way things are changed, changing right now in the world. And so anyway, I'm excited to jump into this conversation. Uh, Martin, thanks for joining today. You bet. I love this. love this kind of talk. All right. Yeah, I love this kind of talk to you. I'm really looking forward to this. So, uh, Martin, for those that are listening, uh, why don't you just give us a little background on, on who you are, what you've been doing, and, and then how you ended up kind of in this uh, blockchain space? Yeah. So, I, I think it would start about 13 years ago. So, 13 years ago, I decided to create a digital media uh, platform uh, called Flow Sports. At the time, it was called Flowcast. We changed the name and went to Flow Sports. So, I co-founded that. I uh, started that, was CEO of that for about 13 plus years, 12, 12 and a half years. Um, and, um, and so essentially what we did is we saw a gap of uh, right now, at the time, it, everything was linear. There was nothing digital. And what I noticed is that uh, the big players like the ESPN, the NBCs, they were a mile wide and inch deep. Uh, across a whole slew of sports. So they were just becoming thinner and thinner across all these many sports and linear um, made it so that they, they really had to fragment their time. And so we, I saw an opportunity, we saw an opportunity where we say, Hey, let's, let's actually be an inch wide and a mile deep within each sport. And let's go really, let's try and go after all sorts of live rights. Let's go more in depth, in depth, authentic coverage of the sports, as opposed to the surface level kind of was basically bullshit is what we saw. And so we decided to do that and we called those those um, inch wide, mile deep at verticals. And what we found out is that by aligning ourselves with people's passions, we were able to drive a much higher lifetime value per subscriber. And um, and that made the home economic model work. And so we 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 took that and ran with it in sports that you wouldn't think that would, there would be an economic model like wrestling, yeah. track and field, all okay. kinds of like these third tier sports. Cause we couldn't go after football. Right. We didn't have any money. I was just, we we're just dudes, right. We we're just people trying to try something. And so, um, and so we just made it work and we grew the company from like zero to 250 people. Um, they had really strong unit economics. We raised a couple rounds of funding. And, uh, and so that was, that was the start. And that's kind of the precursor to what Rockfin um, is. So 13 years ago, I mean, that was still kind of in the, uh, 
<laughs> early days of the internet when really like video streaming and all that kind of first started coming along. So you were basically taking all these niche down sports that weren't really publicly accessible or available and then kind of bringing them out and then finding users that were interested in those things. Yeah. So it's funny. People think like inherently there's some sports that are better than others, but I wrestled in college. I loved wrestling. Yeah, like, better, subjective, better, 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 right? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's just more storytelling around football. So it means more in our life. Right. And so it has this larger context. People are betting on it. There's, there's more social components. And so that's better. But when I saw there was this wrestling community, I was like, this is awesome. And like, this is the most exciting stuff. I'd rather watch this with the right context than football. So I said, you know, there's actually, there's, there's a lot of value with these rights. They just need the more of the storytelling with it. We need to package these rights in a way that, um, that makes sense economically. And if we can do that, we can build this out and, and start to actually grow the sports that we're in through this storytelling. And so that's, that's, I mean, people say niche, but I just want to, it's not like one's inherently better. It's just that one has not been tapped. And so that's kind of what our, our purview was. Well, I think, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I say actually quite a bit that I really think that the internet is just now actually really starting to change the world. And part of that is because it's shifting our culture and what the internet is doing is allowing these niches to, to, to come out right now you can have all these little different specialties and there's like a corner of the world for everybody now. And so I think that's a big feature. That's a big benefit, right? Yeah. A benefit also probably a liability. If you're thinking like, you know, I mean, as you get more into politics, you hear a lot about, uh, you know, Ben Thompson talks a little bit about that. It's like, you could find like the most perverse group and now they got a community, right? So it's kind of like, yeah, the niches are all over good and bad. Right. And so that's it's a really interesting dynamic with uh, with the Internet and kind of what how it how it frag, how it's able to create these communities across the world and make people feel comfortable within their own community. Good and bad. Yeah, I want to talk more about that specifically, but we'll table that. So go ahead and finish and tell us how you get to where you are. So uh, so 12 and a half years at, uh, at Flow Sports, huge success. Everyone's a big win from it. And um, and when. I left Flow Sports. I want to think about what I wanted to do next. It was, I want to do something big. And I just, as I was growing these networks, I was negotiating a lot with my friends, people I loved in the industry. And when you do that, you, I'm very, uh, I, I really could feel the leverage I had in these negotiations, especially after you do it like 300 times, you kind of start just having this gut feeling of like, wow, I have a lot of leverage here. I don't have leverage. And um, because I was doing it with other people, it made me really, the people that were my friends and people I respected, it made me also kind of be empathetic to their side more. So I was naturally empathetic to who I was negotiating with. And so I started to realize is that it was, it was an interesting dynamic. As we had more and more power and our network grew bigger and bigger, I had more and more leverage over everyone I was negotiating with. Sure. And I could extract more from them, even as I was getting more. And even as our valuation was going through the roof. And I was thinking, that's a really interesting dynamic that the very people that have helped me build these networks. And I, I didn't really even formulate these thoughts until after I left. But as I started to think about them, I, I could understood, I kind of felt like there was something here. But then as I was breaking them down, 
and thinking about what I wanted to do next, I found that there was a really interesting dynamic that this took place that as there's exponential value in the network, the, le the network has more leverage over the people that have helped build it. And remember, that network wouldn't even be there without those people. They're a fundamental part, but they're getting locked out of the increase, all this increased value. And you start to, I picked my head up from my own experience, started to look across the landscape. I mean, there ain't no clearer example than YouTube. Sure. Right? YouTube, YouTube, some estimates, $150, $200 billion of equity has been built in YouTube, right? But what gets paid out to the creators is a fraction of that. And they, they obfuscate that. Like Google will never report on YouTube's YouTube stuff on YouTube's earnings because they don't want to give that information out to people, right? And well, so I think, I, th I think that advantage of network it uh, works. It, that's just a that's just a principle of life, right? So, for example, um, I speak a lot about investing, and I say you should have multiple streams of income, right? That way, if one drops off, you have others. But also in like business, like uh, as a business, you wouldn't just want one customer. The more customers you have, if the big one leaves, you're not as affected. Um, and so obviously YouTube is the same, right? Like uh, that PewDiePie or whatever left and he was like the largest guy, but like, does YouTube really care? Cause I was in, in the big scheme of things, it was a small piece, right? Yeah. Well, I'd say I disagree. I don't okay. think it's just like the other thing. So with digital networks, there's essentially, you can quantify digital networks through something called Metcalfe's law, right? Sure. Which says the value of the network equals the number of nodes on the network squared, right? right. So what value of each average value of each one of those nodes. And so that's, a, that's like the most powerful, the most powerful force in business. It's like, it's like the next gen nuclear energy of all business models is a model that leverages network effects, whereby a product or service becomes more valuable to its existing users, the more people that use it. Right. It's like if I had a t-shirt business, right? I'm selling t-shirts and I go out and sell t-shirts and every t-shirt that I sell, all my existing t-shirts that I've already sold get more comfortable, get a better, like uh, get an update on the design, um, uh, have a um, feel better. Just like that, that would be the most profound thing in the world. Like, wait, your, your t-shirt company would explode because every time everyone knows is, Hey, every time I, I get an update here, I, this gets better. Right. That's what happens with digital networks. It isn't just like any other business. This is, the most, the, the, the companies that have had the biggest impact and have biggest success over the last 20 years have been companies that have leveraged digital network effects. Sure. It, yeah. I mean, the, the Metcalf's law for those that aren't familiar with it, like you're saying, the, the network effect. And it's basically like if I had a telephone and I was the only person in the world with a telephone, it's not very useful. I can't call anybody. Uh, once there's two telephones, it's more useful. And when everybody has a telephone, they're super useful, which is like with Facebook. Now that everyone's on Facebook, it's more useful, et cetera. Um, and, and so anyway, for those that don't know, uh, that's Metcalf's law. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, it, the, the network is no good if nobody's using it. And the more people that use it, the better it is, right? Yeah. And so this is a new dynamic that humans have, have encountered over the last 15, 20 years. So it's really brand new for us, the power of it and how fast it moves in the digital age. There's a difference. It isn't just like what it was in 1980. It wasn't known as This is a different force. Mm -hmm. And the speed and power of it is completely unique. Now, it's interesting that the beneficiaries are the digital platforms and their stockholders. They get, they get fucking rich, right? And then the content creator or the customers are happy because they get you know, a new service. But in each one of these scenarios, 
the content creators are the ones getting commoditized, right? And so like that PewDiePie example you gave, oh, he left YouTube. Well, he, YouTube can say that because they got a million other content creators on the platform right. because of digital network effects. Right. And they can start to leverage the network against these content creators to say, hey, you know, you really want to stay on here and do some of your videos on here, right? To stay connected to your fans, to be found by new fans, to be relevant. And you, you don't want to just flat out leave. And so these, we call this the creator's dilemma because the creators want access to the network that they help build, but at the same time, they don't want to be leveraged by the network. And then the network will say, you know what? We're going to change the rules. Yeah. What do you mean you're changing the rules? I, I just moved. I just did something new for this. You're changing the rules? Yeah, we're changing the rules. Why can we do that? Well, because we own the network. We own, we, we own the data. And so they, they can figure out what does that. And they don't, the, the content creators are not, are not part of that upside. They're not part of the great aspects of network effects. They're commoditized by it. And that's the problem. And that's what a lot of the tension that you're starting to see is around these digital networks, is around these content creators and the fact that they're not necessarily getting compensated or they don't know if they're being compensated properly. Yeah. And the rules can change on them and they have to follow these algorithms that are faceless and they don't get a they don't get a they don't get any say in it. In the let's let's uh, let's open this up a little bit. So, content creators, uh, which is what we're talking about at this moment, which is kind of this <laughs> the space that you're in. So, content creators are anyone that's that's producing content, right? Obviously, um, and and it's growing rapidly. I mean, it's a it's a huge growing space um, because of the internet. Like I said, right now, everybody can make something for different niches, and uh, I think it's really changed the world in the way that everybody learns, right? And uh, <laughs> it's changing the education system. It's changing everything. And um, I think it's been really cool where like you used to have to get on a, a bigger platform, like be in a magazine or newspaper or on a network television. But now anybody could just start a channel and just start talking about basket weaving in Africa or whatever, right? Or, yeah. or large dogs in the Midwest, right? <laughs> so I could just create this, this channel. I don't need a network to do that. So that's the content creators and it's a rapidly growing space. And I think it's only going to continue to expand. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're saying there's a, there's obviously like with anything, there's, there's problems in that. Um, and, and one of those problems is that uh, those content creators are kind of uh, trapped or kind of at the mercy of these, these platforms that could change um, on any given whim. Right. Is that kind of yeah. framing it up? Now, um, one of the big, one of the big things that I've been paying attention to in this space now, um, is that we've seen the, the big platforms today where the content creators are, which is YouTube, we've obviously mentioned, and also, you know, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Um, there's really just in the last like six months or eight months, there's been this massive push to deplatforming. Right. We've had uh, the big one was Alex Jones with Infowars, but then Facebook kicked off like 800 accounts and not just right wing, but right and left wing. Like anybody not towing the line. Uh, we've seen it with Twitter and so uh, YouTube, people get shut down, et cetera. And that's also what you're talking about, right, where they just change the rules on you at any given time. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that is that something that you see as a problem? Is that something that you're trying to solve? Like, I guess, is that like the censoring we'd call that? Yeah. So I. So when you get, we get in this space that I'm in, so I'm, we leverage blockchain in a unique manner that I think is the, one of the best use cases for actually using blockchain. 
in a way that makes sense. Right? Okay. There's a lot of projects out there. Now, in that, in that blockchain space, you get a lot of idealists who want to do everything decentralized and, and um, create the perfect utopian uh, product. And, and to me, it's just hard. So what we took approach is, is we said, you know, ultimately Rockfin is a centralized Delaware C Corp company. Okay. We, can, we can do a lot of that stuff, but if we're going to do it, it's going to be painful. And it's going to be painful because the content creators know their true value to the system. And all throughout the process, they're getting the value that their content generates from the network. And so one, they have the information. There's no asymmetry of information. They actually know what, what is going on in the platform. So they know their true worth. And two, um, they're getting the value that their content generates from the network. And so, um, so they have a, they have a, they have the piece of the network. So if they move and leave, that will be more painful than what is the current, um, the current environment. So we're kind of set the stage. We can still do it, but it's just going to be more painful. It's going to be more visible, the impact that it's going to have on what we're doing. And then that visibility gives other people opportunities to compete with what we're doing as well. Right. So, so we don't, I don't live in a utopian world where it's like, Oh, we're never going to do this because you know um, I was, I was CEO of Flow Sports for 12 plus years. I wasn't there for infinite years. I was there for 12 plus years. Good stay, right? But now there's, not, now there's someone else doing something that might have different decision making, right? So right. Th that's gonna exist in everything. So our job is not to create a utopian, but just level the playing field. Let it so that everyone can say, okay, this is what's gonna happen. These are the, these are the, the pain points that now the digital platform, we've introduced pain points the digital platform is going to have if we, don't, if we don't act properly. So that's what I would say our solution is. is it's not like a full solution. It's a half solution. We're just leveling the playing field, so to speak, with content. Creators. And, and play, leveling the playing field in a, in a sense where you're sharing more of the revenue with the content creators. Not revenue. So what we do is, um, so this is how we, how we, um, how we do uh, blockchain. So we give content, we're the first platform that gives content creators the full value that their content generates for the network and includes network effects. And okay. so as when so, a, a customer comes on, they pay us $9.99 to access all of the content creators. When okay. that happens in the background, we have, uh, we're connected to the Ray ecosystem and we have to burn, which for people who don't necessarily know what block, you know, blockchain vernacular, that means we have to destroy $9.99 worth of Ray tokens. And there's only a finite supply of Ray. So there'll only be 34 million Ray ever minted. And it comes out at a, um, at a minting schedule that everybody can see and everybody can witness. So every customer that comes on, they pay us $9 with their credit card, $9.99 with their credit card. We go in the background, we burn $9.99 worth of Ray and everybody can verify that we did that. Then what we do is, is we look at the content that, where, and that's our way of transmitting value to the Ray ecosystem and all the Ray tokens. And so if you look at the full value of the network, it is all of the Ray that is in the ecosystem multiplied by the Ray price. And so what that creates, that very, that burn process creates an absolute necessity that we need to have Ray to distribute these content creators uh, content. So if we want to take in the next $9.99, we need Ray. We need to have Ray. And so what that creates is a demand. So we have this inherent demand and utility 
for this rate. And so as we get more customers, what do you think happens? More demand, hopefully. We need, we need more rate. We got to burn more rate, right? And so that creates more demand on the system. And so we have to go out and get, hey, we need more rate. If another digital platform wants to hook into the Ray ecosystem, what happens to the demand for Ray? Yeah, it goes go up. up. Yeah. Right? And so this burn and mint system is the first of its kind that transmits the full value in an open, transparent way to content creators. Now, when there's about a day's worth of work, um, so it happens about a day, and I don't want to get into all the specifics, but you could understand what there, you could go dig, dig deeper and understand the, the mechanics of, of when the mints happen. But after a day's worth of work, a mint happens. And a mint is introducing new Ray into the ecosystem. And so that gets distributed to the content creators that helped uh, acquire and retain the subscribers. And so then these content creators get this Ray, and now they have an option. They can say, hey, I want to sell all my Ray. Or they can say, I want to sell half my Ray. Or they want to say, mm, I'm going to keep my Ray. Right. So now they have this option of saying, I have this stake in the network. I can just liquidate it all for cash or I can keep it. And I'd say, I want to, I want to keep it going, moving forward. And, um, and yeah, uh, so they have that option. And so is there, that's, is there some incentive for them to keep it? Is it staked or something like that? No. So a key component of what we do is we keep it simple. Okay. We keep it simple. We strip, we try and strip away a lot of the complexities and let the model work for itself. And so, their only incentive is, is, is networks doing more. We don't create a vesting period. We don't do anything. We tried to model. We, we also didn't, we didn't do an ICO. We didn't, we, we started with zero tokens and right. we didn't give a founder's reward. We didn't do any of that. All we do is mm -hmm. that mint and we, everyone's got to earn their take. Everyone's got to earn their, their keep. And we mint, um, 10,000 a day. And then there's a half-life of that after four and a half years, that goes down to 5,000 a day. And so what that does, that minting schedule does is, is it rewards the early adopters who come in early and, pro, and help bootstrap the network. So they, they have an option to, uh, they get essentially opportunity to earn um, more Ray because there's less people on the network, if that makes yeah. sense. So you had said, um, like it, with, with the old company, um, you felt that um, with your position, you had this unfair advantage negotiating and you felt that with your friends and family and whatnot. And um, that, that these content creators don't have this fair advantage because of this network effect that the company um, has. And, you know, the, the company can then change terms and the, the, the content creators kind of stuck. Right. So um, you're, I guess you, you're trying to solve that problem. And so how does this do that exactly? How does this give, um, a more fair advantage back to the content creator just because they're earning more revenue or, or how do you see that? Uh, it gives them a more fair. So in game theory, there's a cooperative game theory problem, right? Where if there's 10 people in a room and if they all work together, they'll, they'll get way more by working together than working against each other. And so what happened, but there are a lot of these people are competitive. So sometimes these people don't like each other. They hate each other. Yeah. Right? But it's in their best interest. If they work together in a certain manner, they would all benefit. And so in the past, what's happened is, is there's a, this trusted third party that comes along and says, Hey, you don't have to work with this guy. You just work with me. You work with me. You work with me. They can create a consolidated offering, right? Which then, um, which, which more people are, are 
it's proven more people will then come subscribe to it than if you're just on an island. But then what happens is that all these people are going through a trusted third party. This trusted third party has this incredible power, right? Because then they know all the data, they know the ins and outs, and they know the different aspects of each particular deal. They know where they're weak, they know where they're strong, and they know where everyone else is weak and strong. And they, so they have this, this really incredible advantage. And so they're able to extract more and more of the network, right? And they, they don't give any, and ultimately what it comes down to is they don't give any of the network effects to the, to the other players in the room, even though that's the whole network is based off of. And so what happens with our system, with our, our Rockfin and the Ray ecosystem is that everybody's on a level playing field. Everyone knows the true value that they're bringing to the table. They know what everyone else as a whole is bringing to the table and where they sit in that ecosystem. And so based on, and um, there's open and, uh, and transparent distribution of the rewards for themselves and other people as well. And so that changes the whole game. And it, our goal is just to be an efficient network. Our goal is to be, and if we can be the most efficient network out there, and efficiency I would define as rewarding people for the full value they bring to the network. Got it. Our network will, it, our network will grow and explode. And because of the way Metcast law works and network effects works, there's so much value to be had there by all parties, including yeah. the digital platform. So it's just a better way to operate and, be, and it's all about transparency that solves for this problem and so by introducing that transparency and everyone knows the rules are and halfway through we can't change the rules because everything's embedded in a smart contract that allows people to buy into it easier they go oh that's really interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna buy into it because i know that these guys can't control it yeah they can't change it behind the scenes without me knowing and yeah. know why they're doing it or this that and the other it, it would just be you can't do it with, with, with the blockchain because once you set those smart contracts in place, those are there and everyone gets to see what goes on. And that's yeah. the beauty of what blockchain introduced. I don't know if that made any sense or if you had yeah, any. Definitely. I think, um, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like I said, you know, this, this, the internet has opened up this avenue where we have all these different niches and now we have everybody that wants to create content for these niches. So as I said, right, it's a really fast growing space. I mean, I'm here producing content, right? So it's a really fast growing space. And, um, I think that's going to continue to grow. And so giving those people an opportunity to earn more, I mean, a lot of people can now start to earn a good living, uh, maybe a full-time living off of creating content. So um, anything that can return more money back to the content creator, I think is a, is a, is a really good thing. Definitely one of the big problems to solve. Um, there's other problems that I think plague the industry as well. Uh, I'm curious about, um, we, I, I kind of touched on like the deplatforming. And um, I want to I want to know like uh, with platforms like YouTube, for example, or Facebook. Um, I believe they, you know, I believe there's a difference in how the platform is set up, and I'm curious how you navigate this. So, um, if they're just a platform that allows people to post content, then they're not liable for things that may happen on that platform. However, once they start to censor that, now all of a sudden they can start assuming liability for content. Um, I believe that's right. Is, is that how you understand that? And how is Rockfin going to be uh, fit in, inside of that? Yeah, so we're gonna, uh, we're gonna follow really strict, like we don't wanna get into the mess. I think YouTube and these other players have stepped in. 
and so I don't know neutral or you'll be, yeah, more... yeah we're going to be more neutral. We're, we're, well, obviously we're going to protect people so that they don't, you know, they're, if there's threats made against them, that's not appropriate. Or if you're, you're caught, you know, you're, you're inciting violence against someone. So we're going to, we're going to be really thoughtful about those different components. And if we're not, and we're not going to have no, we're going to have zero tolerance for that, frankly. And we want people's safety to be protected, but you know, the cover of hate speech, right? It's like hate speech. It's, um, I think it's, um, what, what is hate speech, right? That goes back to your comment earlier about good and bad. I mean, something good to me is something bad to you, right? Like, where do you draw that line? Yeah. So, I mean, th that's what they, th you know, they use it to try and um, invoke this, um, this reaction towards it. And, and anything like that can be, can be turned on people, right? Yeah. So yeah, we can all agree on what this is and that's bad, but you know, we're, um, we're very much along the lines of free speech and free speech is about, you know, being, being an adult now we is may there, is there is there something legally though like i said i was reading about yeah. uh, facebook and youtube where um if they allow it to be more open they're just a platform they're not yeah. liable but once they start censoring they take on some legal liability and they could be sued for content do you know anything about that yeah so that's um i believe that's part of the dmca the digital millennium copyright act that was okay. uh um introduced maybe 1998 or 2000 you know what a, a 20 years ago, I should say, about yeah. 20 years ago, which essentially gave these platforms, um, uh, they, they gave them, they said, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to hold you liable in these certain circumstances. And so they right. gave them immunity in those certain circumstances. Right. There's a process that they have to go sure. through to eliminate and to reduce this content, uh, content that might have copyright and they have to follow these certain protocols. Um, yeah. But they're not, they're not held liable to it. But now they're, now they're coming more like media companies, right? Where they're coming in and saying, this is what you can say, this is what you can't say. Right. What you're doing. And um, there's a political reaction to it because, uh, well, most frankly, most of it's happening on the right. You said there's some on the left. Yeah, there's something on the yeah, left. But a lot of it's happening on the right. And so what you're, you're starting to see have happen is that, frankly, the Republicans in the government are saying, this is, this is bullshit. You've got <laughs> yeah. immunity here. But you're not allowing certain spaces because you're just, you know, you're saying that, well, that's fine. You can do that private company, but you don't get that immunity then. And so right. that's kind of what they're hanging over their head. And they're starting to see some pushback back and forth on it says, okay, this immunity doesn't apply to you if you want to act like this. So let's, let, let's, let's retract that immunity. Or we say this immunity is based on a condition that you actually have free speech. So that's kind of like the, the chess game going on right now in DC of yeah. where, that's, um, exa that's exactly what I was talking about. So Rockfin is going to stay on the more neutral side where you fit within that and not trying to get to the censorship side, hopefully. Yeah, right? I mean, well, it, here's the thing. You know, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, they didn't dare do this when, they're, when they were bootstrapping their network. Of course. Going their network as big and powerful as they can. They created zero friction, right? There was zero friction around, around um, these problems, right? Because they didn't introduce them. Why? Because... Their goal is to get the next person on the platform to get those network effects because there's right. exponential value when you can add. And then once your network is as powerful as it is, then you can turn, then yep. you can switch. And so, and that's when they've changed the rules is when they've, when their network has grown so big, they can say, okay, now we're going to switch rules and we're going to go do this. After they, somebody spent five years building a platform to a million people, and then they just switch the rules. You're like, what? Exactly, exactly. And so now, they, now they've got all your customers on. Now yeah. they got leverage. 
right? And so that's the dynamic. You know, if Facebook and Google or Facebook and uh, YouTube and these platforms, they did it from the get-go, I don't think you'd get that reaction because people know what they're getting. Right. The fact that they switched the rules um, halfway through that is, is upsetting people from what, from what I gather. Yeah. Cool. Good conversation. Now, uh, I got to wrap this up. Uh, unfortunately, I'm running a little bit long here, but I'm just curious. Um, you know, we talk about these different platforms. Uh, are you like a video content platform, Rockfin, or is uh, what kind of content is there on the platform? So we actually just introduced written. We're content agnostic. Um, like I said, customers can come on. They pay $9.99. They get to access all of the content. And um, we, we take creators that are written, podcasts, or video. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, interesting project. I think, like I said, this content, uh, the content creator space is going to be rapidly growing. I think it's just barely getting started. So it's a, it's a great space to be in for you and um, definitely solving some real problems. So it's definitely something I'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, where would people be able to follow to keep, to keep an eye on it as well? Um, so you can come to rockfin.com, R-O-K-F-I-N.com. Um, if you're a creator, you want to apply, you can uh, apply at creators at rockfin.com. Um, and yeah, we think it, what we're doing is transformative. So we're excited about the future. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Good talk. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. It's, uh, it's great learning more about that and we'll be keeping an eye on it. Sounds good. Hey, if you like this episode of the Market Disruptors podcast, please help us take this to the top of the podcast charts. Just please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Taking 15 seconds to just leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us reach more people and disrupt more markets. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time on the Market Disruptors podcast.